Hey, this is Annie, and welcome to Stuff Mo Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. And yes, it is just me today, listeners, because Samantha, our lovely co-host Samantha, was in an accident on the way here to record. She is fine. She is totally fine. But it means that we are doing, I am doing another intro for a classic solo. And I thought we could bring back an episode that Kristen and Caroline did on Shine Theory because Shine Theory came up in our episode on women supporting women. And Shine Theory is this idea that powerful women are your go-tos. They're the best type of friends to have. But that kind of clashes with the other narrative that we frequently hear that powerful women are cutthroat or that there's all this cattiness involved. So we thought that we would bring this one back, get to the bottom of it. And so I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And this week on the show, we're going to talk about friendship. Mm-hmm. And today we're talking about something called the shine theory, which has to do with women and success and friendship, which is going to lead us into conversations about jealousy and competition within female friendships in particular. Um And the thing is, Caroline, on Stuff Mom Never Told You, we root for sisters doing it for themselves and succeeding all the time. We're all about that. We're all about uplift and empowerment. But what happens when your friend becomes really successful or if you're someone who meets someone else who might feel out of your league success-wise? How do we deal with those feelings of maybe unworthiness, friendship-wise, or competition or envy that might naturally arise in these relationships. Well, first of all, envy is, as we'll get into, totally natural, totally normal, might even have its roots in some sort of evolutionary psychology purpose. Um, So, you know, when we were all hunter-gatherers on the plains and I was envious of your spear, you know, that would encourage me to get a better spear myself. But it can sure create kind of a sticky situation when it is in your friend group. Yeah, and uh, there's even a song about this, by the way. For Morrissey fans out there, we hate it when our friends become successful. If you want to just listen to that while we're talking about this, it'd be perfect. Um, But first off, we thought we should kick off with some wise words from a couple of the most successful women out there because they have some pretty insightful things to say about how you should treat successful women or successful people in general. So Amy Poehler, godmother of Stuff Mom Never Told You in (laughs) spirit. She doesn't know this, but she is. Um, She was talking in her book, Yes, Please, about uh, success. I mean, obviously, she's best friends with the even more successful Tina Fey. And she said, quote, rooting for other people's failure does get in the way of your success. So it's that whole warning against kind of watch out for your own schadenfreude. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that's a great attitude. There's there's sort of an ugliness, and I don't mean physical ugliness. I mean an internal ugliness, obviously, to rooting against someone, especially if they are your friend. And Taylor Swift, 
who we've talked about recently and who we did mention quite a bit about her very high-profile lady friendships. She talked, too, about how she surrounds herself with smart, beautiful, passionate, driven, ambitious women. And she says other women who are killing it should motivate you, thrill you, challenge you, and inspire you rather than threaten you and make you feel like you're immediately being compared to them. Now, some might hear that and say, well... T-Swizzle, it's so easy for you to say that because you're so singularly successful. She's in her own league. Like mm-hmm. No one can really compete with her except maybe Katy Perry, but we're not going to get into that. Um, so what about in our more, what, what about for, for folks like you and me, Caroline? Well, I think we can transition pretty well off of Taylor Swift because Marcy Bianco over at Mike was sort of looking into Taylor's comments about not only friendship and lady friends, but also feminism and saying that the message is, quote, that to gain power, we have to champion women who have access to it. And this is sort of the basis for what Anne Friedman calls the shine theory. Yeah, we've cited Anne Friedman so many times on the podcast. She is a freelance writer. You've probably seen her work in New York Magazine. She writes regularly elsewhere as well. And she also hosts a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend with one of her very successful lady friends. And she wrote this piece in New York Magazine in 2013, I believe, about shine theory. And it went viral. I mean, it might partially be because it was headlined, Why Powerful Women Make the Best Friends. Um, but it, it definitely started a lot of conversations. And he, one thing that she says in this piece is, quote, When you meet a woman who is intimidatingly witty, stylish, beautiful, and professionally accomplished, befriend her. In other words, you know, what I had to do with Caroline, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Surrounding yourself with the best people doesn't make you look worse by comparison. It makes you look better. And again, why am I sitting so close to Caroline? Answer. She's shining upon me. This is literally, we're sitting in a long dining room table and Kristen is literally sitting next to me. I don't understand. Side by side. But honestly, it's cold in here, so it's keeping me warm. Right. And so she uses the example of Kelly Rowland and Beyonce because, you know, they were all in the same group together along with. Michelle, let's not forget poor Michelle. Um, But Beyonce, of course, blew up and became this social phenomenon. And Kelly Rowland herself has an incredibly successful career. I mean, like, I'd like to put out records and be a judge on The X Factor, if that's, in fact, the show that she's on. Um, But basically, Kelly Rowland had to work through her own envy issues with Beyonce and even wrote a song about it, about seeing your friend blow up and become so successful and having to deal with those kind of feelings of being left behind. But yeah, so Friedman talks about how Kelly Rowland... Great example, because she's positioning herself next to Beyonce, and she's all the better for it, not worse for it. And when she published this song that was autobiographical about her jealousy of Beyonce and coming to terms with that, Beyonce then listened to it and then sent Kelly an email or maybe a text message. I don't know how they communicate. And was like, (laughs) hey, that was really amazing and honest, and thank you for being you. And... uh, I wish I could get a text like that from Beyonce. Maybe it was a singing telegram. <gasps> a pajamagram. But, oh, cool. All right. Cool as if it happened. Um, so the basic idea is that the people we surround ourselves with not, not only reflect who we are, but they should reflect who we want to be. And so by befriending and bonding with powerful, awesome women, 
you're helping build your own personal network, whether that's for your personal life or for your professional life, and that your friends should really encourage you to be better, not drag you down. Yeah, and this does remind me of stuff my mom told me when I was a kid in terms of you are the company that you keep, so be careful of the friends that you make. And it it seems like a grown-up version of that in a way because it's not only sort of holding yourself to a higher standard by virtue of uh, these powerful, successful people holding you more accountable, but also allowing maybe outspoken friends in your life to kind of call you out Mm -hmm. when you need to be called out a little bit for maybe going on dates with questionable people or maybe not being as ambitious as as you possibly could be. Those kinds of things as well. Yeah, and she cites Joe Freeman's 1976 essay on feminists not necessarily doing this, not necessarily being supportive of one another. So it's not like feminists are some magical unicorn group of women who are immune from some of the less desirable personality traits when it comes to friendship. And in that essay, Freeman cites Anselma Delolio, who said, quote, achievement or accomplishment of any kind would seem to be the worst crime. You are immediately labeled a thrill-seeking opportunist, a ruthless mercenary out to make her fame and fortune over the dead bodies of selfless sisters who have buried their abilities and sacrificed their ambitions for the greater glory of feminism. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and that rings true today as well, not just within feminism, but in our friendships in general. And it doesn't help that... And we'll talk about this more in depth later in the podcast that a lot of times the female friendships that have been modeled for us in pop culture have always had those undercurrents of competition. Mm -hmm. And I hate to use this word, but cattiness. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, one important feminist figure who's always argued for women supporting one another is Gloria Steinem. And Kristen and I heard firsthand Gloria Steinem talking about the importance of, even if you disagree with someone, supporting them in their efforts to do better. Yeah. And going back to Amy Poehler, she has a great one-liner about that, which is simply, good for you, not for me. And that's fine. And that's all it has to be. Yeah. Um, But the thing is, especially when we're talking about this within the context of feminism, the more we get distracted by fighting amongst ourselves and competing and, you know, fuming with jealousy, it does give away ground to the status quo and to patriarchy because it is a distraction away Mm -hmm. from doing the work. Right. Exactly. Some people, though, did not like this shine theory. Uh, Slate's Hannah Rosen was not a huge fan of this idea because she saw it as too calculating. She basically called it forming a strategic alliance instead of forming an actual genuine friendship. And she wonders whether, according to this theory, that, you know, if you've surrounded yourself purposely with all of these powerful, really super ambitious women, if one of them loses a job, goes through a hard time, you know, finds herself in a funk for three weeks and doesn't get out of her pajamas— do you have to kick her out of your of your high-powered social group all of a sudden or if or if she shows any type of jealousy or weakness? Yeah, funnily enough, she thinks that the advice is quote old-fashioned, a relic from the days when women didn't see themselves as worthy competition for men, so they fought one another for scraps, which is a pretty damning assessment. Yeah, she suggests instead that if you're going to try to have a strategy for your friendships, that you should try compartmentalizing between your professional acquaintances and your actual really close lady friends. And then just 
recognize and ride out the waves of en- envy as they come and go. So basically you have these different friend groups for different purposes, one of which is your true genuine group of friends. One is the kind of friends that you have to help you get ahead um, and that you can use them to sort of kind of let off steam about the other group when you need to. Well, overall, I by the shine theory but there is it seems like there needs to be this distinction between what the shine theory is which seems like it's more along the lines of friendly networking mm-hmm. rather than cultivating best friendships right because the the feeling that i got having read that and then reading rosen's column about it was that yeah the shine theory is great in that yes you should always encourage your lady friends and you should always strive to be the most genuine supportive friend that you can and hope that you receive that same treatment um, in response but yeah it I, I almost feel like that might be a recipe for not so genuine friendships and even the development of like a frenemy relationship which you and I have also talked about yeah well it, I was actually binge listening to call your girlfriend over the weekend in Friedman's podcast and they mentioned the shine theory and uh, her co-host said oh well Anne, you know I don't shine if you don't shine and that kind of hammered it home a little bit more to me of like okay that makes more sense in a day-to-day with your friends of like you we want to help each other be the best ladies that we can be through our friendship I get that but yeah there's also the factor too where especially if you are a career-oriented woman who spends a lot of time and invests a lot of mental and emotional energy into her job I'm I should just make this first person because I'm talking (laughs) about myself I've found that it's really important for me to have friends where career is not a topic that we even really go to. Yeah. You know, like I feel like we need a break from it at some point. It, it is nice to talk to people with other passions and with their energy being directed in different areas instead of just, you know, people exactly like yourself all the time. Yeah. And I think you have to, it goes both ways too, like to the point of what uh, Hannah Rosen was saying about, well, what if you have a friend who lost a job? What if you have a friend who's not so successful. Do you kick her out of the club? No. And I think that it's, you have to keep that in mind too, when if you are the more successful friend, how you treat and talk to your friends who are maybe taking different paths than you are and accepting that as well. So it's a, I mean, I, I like the shine theory. I like the concept of the shine theory, but as always, there's clearly more nuance to it than just make friends with powerful women. Right, exactly. Um, And of course, if you are the more successful woman, then chances are some people in your social group might be envious of the things that you've accomplished. Yeah, and there has been a lot of research on jealousy and envy in general. So first, we want to share a few facts about the purpose of jealousy, why it exists, because it seems like this, well, it is a negative emotion, but it does have a purpose in the natural world. And we're citing a paper by Sarah E. Hill and David M. Buss called The Evolutionary Psychology of Envy. Right. Super interesting stuff that uh, if you read it, and I encourage you to do so, it makes you feel like way less of a crazy person. Oh, yeah. Envy <laughs> is envy is supernatural. It is. I mean, super. Uh, natural two words not supernatural <laughs> as in a deity um right it is innate 
and it likely played a role in, like I talked about earlier, getting the better spear, resource acquisition and human survival, because it motivates certain things like submission, ambition, or destruction. Basically, you choose between like, oh, I'm super envious. That means I'm getting ambition. I might acquire something better or find a way to do it myself or, you know, something terrible like, ah, you've got the better spear, so I'll destroy yours so that I feel better about myself. move away from spears and actually talk about social groups, which is what we're here to actually talk about. And envy has really been shown to lead to basically talking smack about a person to your peer group because that helps lower or it can help lower an opinion of someone. So that's that's another like peer group focused way of using envy as a destruction tool, but it's a secretive emotion because we know it's negative and we don't want to admit that we're being outperformed because what does that mean? Envy is like, okay, you have something that I really want, so I'm feeling envious of you, and that might spark a whole slew of negative emotions like hostility and insecurity and all this stuff, but I don't want to tell this other person over here, oh, Kristen has something that I want because that just makes me seem like, oh, well, I don't have enough or I don't have what I need or should have. Exactly, which is where Shine Theory would come in to say, Mm -hmm. rather than giving in to your insecurity, take advantage of it, befriend, Mm -hmm. make a, you know, build the bridge between you and that thing that you want. And Shine Theory jumped out in this paper when they noted that, quote, researchers have long noted that people reserve their feelings of enviousness for those who are similar to themselves and for advantages that are in self-relevant domains. In other words, it's understandable that we might have feelings of envy for the women who are surrounding us, especially if they're in similar kinds of careers or industries, because it tends to crop up the most around the people who are the most like us because that mm-hmm. would lead us to think, well, you have everything that I have, but except for that one thing. Yeah. Why does your hair look amazing every <laughs> single day? That's right. Kristen's not talking about me. <laughs> yeah, and that hair thing is not just a joke. I mean, it plays into an evolutionary psychology theory on women's envy in particular. We tend to have greater envy in response to our same-sex peers being more attractive, whereas guys are more envious of richer or guys with better resources. And that, you know, goes back to, okay, well, what do men and women want traditionally? And women are seeking to be provided for and men are seeking a hot, fertile young mate, basically. (sighs) Uh, I know. Uh, Yeah, that's, there's always, there's always that factor in evolutionary psychology, it seems like. Uh, But I did find it interesting that the researchers mentioned that envy should peak during our peak reproductive years. Yeah. So, because it's all about, ultimately, according to evolutionary psychology, it ultimately, as is everything, about babies. Yeah, fighting for resources, and those resources are sperm. Yes. <laughs> but there's there's also been a lot of non-evolutionary psychology research conducted on jealousy and competition within female friendships. And it starts long before our careers get off the ground. And one of the most fascinating things to me about 
gender differences in friendships that you see come up a lot in studies is that girls tend to hold their girlfriends, and I mean girl, like young girls, tend to hold their girlfriends to higher standards. We think about friendships more often. We expect more things like kindness, loyalty, and commitment from our friends. We self-disclose more to our girlfriends. I mean, think about, I mean, just the the excitement of telling or hearing a secret from a friend when you were a girl. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that was so much of what it was. And while that establishes this foundation for girl friendships being so incredible, it also sets us up, though, for jealousy and disappointment and competition, too, because we're so invested. Right. And then that leads us to what this study, which is in the journal Developmental Psychology in 2005, was saying about how, you know, girls are, there's so much more of an intimacy level in female friendship than in the friendships of young boys, to the point where the interference of a third party tends to be a significant source of tension between friends and the primary basis for the breakup of friendships. Yeah, and researchers usually anticipate jealousy interfering in girl friendships just because we have, quote, deeper, more intimate friendships. And they also went on to say in this study, quote, girls in general reported higher levels of jealousy surrounding friends. So this is something that we're dealing with in our formative years. Um, But interestingly, too, that gender difference might also be due to a gendered stigma of jealousy being thought of as more of a feminine emotion, probably because like we were talking about with the evolutionary psychology of envy, Mm -hmm. if you express envy or jealousy, you're sort of tipping your hand a little bit. Right. Signaling weakness. So, for instance, if boys are feeling jealous within the confines of these friendships, they have a tendency to just say that they're upset versus they're jealous of something. But Caroline, this is dealing with younger girls. What then happens When puberty hits and sexiness walks in the room. Oh my God, I feel like everybody could probably guess the answer to this. Uh, Nothing good. Nothing good. Nothing good happens. Um, I mean, it's so interesting. The studies that we read that basically threw a, a sexy lady into the mix of two female friends showed over and over again that if a uh, if a sexy lady walks in the room and encounters two female friends, the minute she walks back out, the two female friends are going to be like, oh my God, did you see her? I bet she's just here to bang the professor. Whereas if a woman with like her hair and a knot on the top of her head, wearing a t-shirt and pants, you know. If I walk into the room. <laughs> if I walk into the room. They, they don't think anything of it at all. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, we're not, we're not bringing sexy back. <laughs> but this, the fascinating thing though, too, was that only until recently, relatively recently, scientists didn't even really understand the entire concept of female competition. It was assumed to be more of a male thing, obviously relating to uh, gendered patterns of aggression and violence. And adding a little more complexity to this as well, uh, the New York Times was reporting on how female competition used to be sort of a giant question mark because past evolutionary analysis thought that our ancient polygynous societies just eliminated any compulsion for female mate competition because, hey, the hottest dudes just have multiple wives, no big deal. But more recent analysis has opened up 
that scenario a little bit for female competition because they now think, well, women probably would have still competed for the best resourced sperm contributor. So it's it's all very romantic. It's very egalitarian. (laughs) It's very progressive. Um, But not joking, female competition has only recently been studied. And it is once you throw that sexiness into the equation that it does come out. Unfortunately, at least according to the limited research that's out there, in the form of female-to-female slut-shaming. Yeah. So researcher Sarah B. Hurdy uh, is researching female competition, and she points out that it's only since the 1980s, which is really when more and more women started getting into STEM fields, that people turned their attention to studying women's competition and and, uh, female-on-female competition and aggression. Um, Of course, as we've talked about before, female-on-female aggression does tend to be... A little more passive-aggressive, a little less actually aggressive-aggressive. Or especially physical. I mean, we have to protect our delicate selves, right? Yeah, we're, we're less likelier to, to punch each other. Yeah, don't punch me in the baby maker, because I've got to be making all those babies with all that sperm I acquired with my new spear. And not in the face, because how will I find the best sperm contributor? <laughs> Instead, I'm just going to say horrible things about you behind your back. Right, because that goes back to the whole envy discussion of talking about someone behind her back to basically take her down brick by brick behind the scenes instead of just doing it to her face. Yeah, which is really no less damaging, uh, arguably even more damaging than punching someone in the ute. (laughs) In the ute. And this is our way, according to Dr. Hurdy, that women limit access by maintaining advantage in the negotiation of the resource, the resource being our ability to find a decent person to procreate with. Mm -hmm. Um, But moving on from that, Joyce Benison at Emanuel College has also studied female jealousy and competition, and she identified to Psychology Today three unique characteristics of jealousy in women. One, veiled aggression rather than physical confrontation. We've already covered that. Two, high-status women are less motivated to invest in other women and women who try to distinguish or promote themselves threaten other women and will encounter hostility and enter shine theory needing to come into play. And then three, social exclusion to protect against potential competitors. So, I mean, we, we play dirty. Yeah. But, I mean, this, this supposedly, like, natural drive to be doing all of this definitely follows us into our careers and jealousy reflecting gender ni- dynamics in the workplace. Because when you think about it, there are so few women as CEOs, in the boardroom, in high power positions. So may, hopefully we're not fighting for sperm in the office, but we're fighting for very limited positions of power. And so that still will involve those more the the more veiled aggression maybe the the feelings of envy and trying to take someone down behind the scenes so that you're still being perceived as like oh I'm a team player at work yeah but i do think one of the most damaging ways if you are a woman vying for that limited seat i mean stepping on the backs of other women in order to get there is i mean i guess if you're out for yourself okay but you're not helping other women in the process and and the fact of the matter is there are some people for which they they don't care they don't care about that at all every woman on a reality show i love those montages on youtube of of women going i'm not here to make friends yeah because i mean there is i think still 
this assumption that women are going to naturally be competitive with each other and be jealous of each other. And Shine Theory does tip it on its head a bit of saying, hey, you know, we can be successful. We can also be friendly. And we can also maybe buck these perceptions that women in positions of leadership and power are aggressive and angry and unfriendly. Yeah. Because that doesn't help at all either. No, and neither does the loneliness that comes when you're looking at social media for hours on end and some woman on social media is posting pictures of her trip to Bali. I'm not speaking from personal or just experience. Of, or just of dinner parties you weren't invited to. Not speaking from personal experience either, <laughs> Caroline. Yeah, social media. I mean, we're, we're going to mention social media because women spend a lot of time on social media. And as probably every, every listener has seen a trend piece on this, there have been so many studies now linking Facebook and Instagram in particular to feelings of loneliness, lower self-worth, and jealousy because we're seeing we're seeing things that we don't have. I mean, yes, these are images that are curated and filtered and cleverly captioned, we hope, to, you know, make your life look as great as possible, but still. But it's weird. It's almost like it's almost like the way that fake sugar like will never satisfy your brain because your brain wants real sugar and so it keeps searching. It's it's almost like you're you're in a fake competition with other women on social media when you look at their amazing pictures of their trip or their dinner or their vacation or husband or whoever, whatever. Because so envy is supposed to spark ambition, right? You see something you want and you're like, I've got to figure out a way to get that for myself and do do well for myself. But the image that people present of themselves on social media, it's not anywhere close to being 100% real. Yeah, you might post pictures of an amazing trip you took, but that doesn't cover up like maybe you had a bad day. Maybe you're not feeling good about yourself. Maybe you yourself are insecure. And so it's almost like people are envious of something that they don't fully grasp. And so that like breeds this whole feeling of insecurity and instability and envy when really you should just be congratulating on your, your friend on a good trip and saying, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I mean, and when it comes to that realness factor on social media and our curated images, I would like to highlight that my Twitter avatar, that is fake blood on my face. <laughs> Not real. <laughs> Ladies, you don't need to be envious. Um, and also, I think that you just came up with something that we should call the Splenda Theory. <laughs> so, nice. Yeah. Hello, Shine Theory, meet Splenda Theory. <laughs> and together, what would that make? Fool's gold? <laughs> but before we close out this conversation, we did want to take a look at television because we mentioned earlier about how media representations of female friendships, particularly in movies and television, often you know, follow the assumption that we all secretly hate each other and that we're all <laughs> frenemies. Right. And there is still a lot of that on TV. Uh, just look at the Real Housewives franchise and The Bachelor. But I think in some ways it has gotten better. We do have some examples of uh, female friendships on TV. And I'm only focusing on TV just because there's not even time to get into film. But there are examples of friendships where Shine Theory is at work, not just in a sense of a career, but supporting people through life decisions too. And I think that that's something especially... For me, as an adult woman, w with my friends who I've now had for years and years and years, to it's it's not just the career success that can stoke envy, but it's also the life success 
We're all starting to hit the milestones. You're starting to get like engagements and marriages and pregnancies and divorce and that and that plays a role in things as well. Yeah, it is refreshing to see depictions of female friendship that seem very genuine. I mean, take a show like Girls, which wait, don't turn off the podcast. I know not everybody is a fan. But when you have a show like Girls, I feel like that's still depicting genuine female friendships and all of the messiness that can come along with it. These women are being pitted against each other. There's not cattiness per se, but there's genuine love and support just on the same token as there is insecurity and sort of measuring up against one another. Yeah. And Broad City, hello, is there a more dedicated duo of female friends on primetime I don't think so, because I think that Ilana would would murder for Abby, and she would also marry her if she could, if Abby would have her. Um, and then even to a Sex in the City, mm-hmm. you know, uh, those friendships showed time and again lots of support through milestones and successes and even through failures, too. And I feel like in that way, Sex in the City was a healthy model. Parks and Recreation, mm-hmm. Leslie Nope's Undying Love of Anne. Right. And I think one of my favorites, even though I hate this show now, is Grey's Anatomy, the friendship between Meredith and Christina. Because I remember so clearly the episode where Christina said that Meredith was her person because I was like, oh, there it is. That's my friendship reflected in these two fictional characters because I feel that way about a couple of ladies too. And it's like, they're, they're my my people, my tribe, my, yeah. my people who will tell me when I'm full of crap, but who will also support me unconditionally. And an older sitcom as well that depicts strong female friendships through life events is girlfriends as well as awkward black girl. You have the Gilmore Girls, arguably, which I feel like that's a little bit of a stretch. And also Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hello, yeah. you've got some strong female friendships in there as well. Yeah. So there's some good modeling going on. On And I, I do think, though, that for the TV shows we just mentioned that are on the air right now, it's interesting that most of them are created by women. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the importance of representation when people talk about why is it important to get women in XYZ field. This is a great example. You get more women's perspectives in the TV writer's room. And then you get more realistic depictions of actual women. Yeah, and I think that those depictions are important. I think it is important, especially for girls, to see... I mean, not that girls are sitting down and watching Grey's Anatomy. Do girls watch Grey's Anatomy? I don't know. I don't know. But I I think just generally it's so important for younger girls to see healthy models of female friendship because from the get-go, at least according to studies and according to my experience when I was a girl, we invest so much in our friends and our friends mean so much to us. And when they break our hearts, it's like no other heartbreak. And I feel like this follows us and morphs and evolves as we get older. And I really love most of all Amy Poehler's advice of just don't root for other people's failure. You know, if something's not for you, that's fine. Good for her, not for me. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So let's hear from some listeners. What do you think about the shine theory? How, How has success and competition influenced your closer friendships and do you think that you should make friends with powerful people or is that just 
kind of networking. And guys, we want to hear from you too. I know this was a 100% lady-focused conversation, but we always want to hear your thoughts as well. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us and MomStuffPodcast and message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I have a letter here from Samantha about our underpants episode. She says, I'm a costume designer out in Seattle, and when it comes to historical plays, the right undergarments are essential. While it was interesting to hear about the political and social feelings on underwear, I was saddened that you barely touched on the function of these garments. If it weren't for corsets, many Victorian and Edwardian dresses would look awful since the dresses themselves were never made of fabric that could hold structure or form. You mentioned that once World War II was over, we go back to constraining undergarments like bullet bras, girdles, and petticoats. But the shape and design of those dresses wouldn't be fully realized because without those bases, it would look like a totally different dress. Even now, we use Spanx to get the garments we wear to look like they are intended to look. Love the podcast, and thanks for helping me become a better informed feminist. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Samantha. Thank you for filling us in on some historical details. And Samantha and some other listeners have also filled us in on a mispronunciation of the word chemise, which I uh, woefully misled Caroline into thinking it was pronounced chemise. So (laughs) my sincerest apologies. (laughs) I don't know why I thought uh, thought it was chemise. I always said it that way in my head. It was just like that Sarah C. Anderson comic. Yeah. Well, I now have a letter from Sarah about our Clitoracy podcast and Columbo, and it made me laugh. (laughs) So here it is. She said, love your podcast. I listen to it all the time at work. Thank you for all your hard work. I was just listening to the Clitoracy podcast, and I know you were thinking that Columbo discovering the clitoris reminded you of Columbus, but I humorously started thinking of Detective Columbo, played by Peter Falk, in the 1968 TV show Columbo, which, side note, I totally watch that all the time with my parents. I kept inwardly laughing every time I thought of his catchphrase, There's just one thing I don't understand. <laughs> and applying it to the clitoris. <laughs> Nothing hugely groundbreaking to actually tell you about the episode other than that I enjoyed it, and the thought of Columbo the detective was super funny to me. Hope it made you laugh too. And it did, Sarah. So thank you. And thanks to everybody else who's written in to us. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one, with links to Anne Friedman's piece about Shine Theory so you can read along, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. And that brings us to the end of this classic episode. Uh, we would love to hear from you. If you'd like to email us, you can. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 